0: Take your Bible. We're in the study of the book of Acts, and a pretty cool study, actually. Uh, we've been going verse by verse through the book of Acts, and um, uh, it, 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 in case you don't know, in case you haven't been following, there's a podcast available. You can go online. You can watch the live stream on YouTube or on Facebook, and, and if you were to go back, you could actually have a complete study, literally, verse by verse of the book of Acts. And as you remember, the book of Acts is a, is a documentary of what happened in the first church, uh, and, and some of the stuff they did was good, some of the stuff they did wasn't that great, and it just kind of just accounts it. Uh, when Luke wrote this, he just kind of wrote down, this is just kind of what happens. And it takes a place over many, many years, and, uh, uh, you know, some stuff worked out good, and some stuff didn't work out good. You know, I've had people say to me over the years, say, you know, Pastor, you know, if, 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 if you're doing right, you know, all things always work together for good, you know, and just always, if you're, if you're in God's will everything will always work out just great. Or, Pastor, you know, I got saved, and the moment I got saved, everything turned around, and there was never any problems. (laughs) Okay, Uh, I don't know what planet you're from, uh, but down here on earth, (laughs) uh, God never promises, guys. He never promises in the Bible that if you get saved, or you're a Christian, or if you're doing the right thing, that things are going to work out for good. He just doesn't promise that. The, the reality is this, and, and maybe write this down in your notes because I'm going to come back to this phrase here again, but the Christian life is a battleground. It, it's not a playground. We have this attitude that the Christian life is going to be a playground. And, and I come to church because I want to play, and I come to church because I want to be entertained, and, and I'm at church because I write music, or I'm at church because the church has so many different events. But, but the reality is, is uh, you know, there's going to be times that we're going to see blessings but there's also times in the Christian life and even in the church that we're going to see disappointments, right? Because we're, we're in a battle. Uh, God or Jesus referred to us, you know, as being soldiers. Uh, it's not a playground. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of times that there's fun things, but there's a lot of times that there's disappointments and, and a lot of times that there's loss and a lot of times that there's hard times going on. So, you know, be careful, church. Be careful if you're ever going through a trial or going through a hard time. You know, don't, don't ever say to yourself, well, I'm going through a hard time. It must be because I'm being bad. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Or maybe because you're being good and God's allowing you to go through something, okay? Or you look at someone else. Well, they're going through a hard time. Boy, they must really be sinners. No, not necessarily. (laughs) You know, bad things can happen to good people, okay? And so always kind of keep that in perspective and just kind of remember that. (laughs) Uh, The guy in our story here, Paul, his name is Paul. As you remember in the story, He was doing good. He was going around. His job was to go around to give the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, just real quick, real quick review so you kind of remember what was happening because you got to understand it to know where we're going in the story today, okay? This guy Paul is on a missionary journey. Jesus had died on the cross and, and rose from the grave and went back to heaven about 30, 40 years ago, okay? So this is 30 or 40 years after the cross, and Paul's out on the missionary uh, journey, and he's says, he says in the New Testament, he says, I'll do, I'll do anything, now get this, I'll do anything short of compromise to tell people that that guy Jesus really was the Messiah, okay? So, so I'll do anything short of compromise, and that means this, that means that if I go with Jewish people, I'll, 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 I'll become a Jew, I'll, I'll, I'll be their friends too, just to tell them about Jesus. If I go to the Gentiles, and remember a Gentile was anybody that, that wasn't a Jew, uh, I'll, 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 I'll be with a Gentile, and I'll tell them about Jesus. So as the story goes, he goes into Jerusalem, and some of the people, we talked about this last week, said, Paul you know, you really need to go to the temple. You really need to go and, and, and kind of go through all the symbolism and be there with the sacrifices and be there with all the stuff just to show the Jewish people that you're not against the Jewish people because Paul wasn't against the Jewish people. So I believe Paul went into the temple and he was there about a week with, and, and, and helping some guys kind of go through their, their vows. And, and, and I believe that whole time that Paul was probably telling the people It's okay that you're doing these things in the temple, but they don't save you. And he was probably using the symbolism of what was taking place in the temple to point back to Jesus Christ, okay? So I don't believe Paul was in compromise. I don't believe Paul did anything wrong. I believe he was using the temple and using the experience there to tell people about Christ. Why? Well, because here's where we're going to pick up Acts chapter 21. Let's look at verse 30. As you remember, Paul's in the temple there, probably telling people about the Messiah. And we covered a couple of these verses last week, but just for the sake of reference, let's look at them again. Verse 30. And all the city was moved in Jerusalem there, and the people ran together, and they took Paul, drew him out of the temple, and forth the doors were shut, and as they went about to what? What's it say, church? What are they going to do? Kill him. Now here's a good guy that some bad things have happened to, right? And they go about to kill him, so they're not happy with Paul being a Christian, Tidings came unto the chief captain of the band, and all Jerusalem was in an uproar. So, so now, now think about this. The, the Christian life's a battleground. The guys, look at This is the real Christian life, okay? Now, I don't mean this mean. Well, maybe I do. I don't know. I don't, the, the Joel Olstein life is, is not the Christian life, okay? It's just, I'm sorry. It's just, I'm sure he's a nice guy. I'm sure he's sincere, but your best life is not today. Your, your, your best life is our eternity in heaven, <laughs> okay? And think about Paul. I don't think Paul was going, well, my best life today. They, they just dragged me out of the temple, the entire city, and they're going to kill me. Boy, amen. You know, I, don't, <laughs> I think he's a little concerned right here, you know. <laughs> Verse 32, who immediately took the soldiers and centurions and ran down into them. And when they saw the chief captain of the soldiers, they left beating Paul. This is so far, this is not a good day for Paul, all right? Everyone get me on this so far? They're, okay, verse 34. And some cried one thing, and some, among, uh, some another. It kind of sounds like a riot going on, doesn't it? And we've unfortunately heard of riots in our community, right? Half the people are yelling this, half the people are yelling that. Among the multitude, and when he could not know the certainty for the tomo, uh, the tomo so he doesn't know what's going on, the, the chief there, he commanded him to be carried in the castle. And he says to him in verse 38, now this is interesting, the the, the chief like soldier says this and and they basically, he has him confused for someone else. Art thou not that Egyptian which before these days made an uproar and let out in the wilderness 4,000 men that were murderers? (laughs) Paul's probably sitting there going, no, you you got me for the wrong guy, verse 39. But Paul said, no, I'm a man which the Jew of, of Tarsus, the city of Sicilia, a citizen of no mean city or, or not an insignificant city. And I beseech the people, suffer me to speak unto the people. You got the wrong guy, verse 40. And when he had given him license, Paul stood on the stairs and beckoned with the hand of the people. So the, the captain of the army says, okay, go ahead. Why don't you stand there and, and why don't you talk to the people? And when he was made there, great silence he spake into the Hebrew tongue, saying. So he spoke in their language. Now chapter 22, here we go. Men, brethren, fathers, hear you my uh, defense. Uh, defense which I make now unto you, verse 2. And when they had heard that he spake in the Hebrew tongue to them, they kept the more silent. So he got their attention because he's literally speaking their language, like literally, okay? And all people are being quiet for a moment. What, what, what's this guy going to say he's actually speaking in the Hebrew tongue? Well, okay, who is this guy? Verse 3. And he starts to tell them who he is. I am verily a man, which I'm a Jew, born in Tarsus, the city of Sicilia, yet brought up in the city at the feet of uh, Gamal. Now, this guy, Gamal, was a, before the time of Christ, he was a, uh, kind of, in our terms, we kind of maybe say a professor or some great lecturer. The fact that he was schooled by this guy kind of gave him some clout. It'd be like nowadays saying, you know, I went to Harvard or I went to Yale and, and I did my graduate studies there and, you know, and I got a PhD now. That's kind of like what Paul's saying is like, you know, I'm, I'm from, from some, some good education here. I've got some clout and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and was zealous towards God, as you all are this day. So so listen, I've been just as much of a a practicing Jew as you are. I mean, I I get this. Verse 4, and I persecuted, underline the next two words, this way. Remember how we talked about that a couple weeks ago? You can go and listen to that podcast we talked about this way. Before they were called Christians, they were called people of the way. Do you remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So they were referred to as people of the way. So, so Paul's saying, listen, you know, I, I persecuted these people that were of the way under the death, binding and delivering into prisons, both men and women, verse 5, and also the high priest does bear me witness, so the people in the temple, they know, and all the estate of the elders from whom also I received letters unto the brethren and went to Damascus to bring them which were, were bound unto Jerusalem for to be punishment, Uh Be punished. So so he's saying, Listen, I was a devout Jew, I practiced the law so much so, I loved Judaism so much now. i Gotta get this part of the story. I actually went about and those people that followed Jesus, the people of the way, the people that we would call Christians, I actually persecuted them. Matter of fact, I'd take them and put them in jail. Matter of fact, not only that, I dragged them out of their house and I had them killed. I was so uh, uh, loyal and so religious. I followed all the rules, so much so that anyone that followed that guy, Jesus, how dare he say he's the Messiah? I took them out, man. Because no one's going to get in the way of our religion. So he's kind of identifying with them, right? we going down to verse 6. And he starts to kind of give his history. Follow along verse 6. And I'm going to read all these verses, so just hang on. And it came to pass that, uh, as I made my journey and was come near unto Damascus about noon, suddenly there shone from heaven a great light round about me. So he's talking about the time when God literally, literally talked to him. His, his name used to be Saul, and he sees this bright light on the road, and, and God literally talks to him. Verse 7, And I fell into the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why, why persecute thou me? Now, this is an interesting point in the conversation. He says, I'm on the road, I hear God, and God says this to me. Why do you persecute me? Now, time out, time out, follow me. All the people in the audience like the story until now. Well, good, God talked to you. Good, that's great. Why do you persecute God? I like this. The next verse, though, things are going to start to change. Why are they going to start to change in the next verse? Because he starts to get really specific on on who he's talking to. (laughs) And, And it's not just God, you know, kind of in generic he mentions the name of Jesus. <clears throat> and all the Jews that are standing outside the temple right now, all these people that are trying to kill him, things are going to change real fast. You know, it's like this. It's like, guys, you can drive into Milwaukee or drive down, down 94 here, and you can have a bumper sticker on your car that says, honk if you, you know, whatever. Or honk if God bless America, right? And people honk and, oh, yeah, great. You know, God bless America, right? Yeah, God bless America. If you put a bumper sticker in your car that says, honk, Jesus is the only way, <laughs> you better fear for your life. You're going to get run off the road here, <laughs> right? You can say, God bless America, but don't say Jesus is the only way, and he's going to mention the name of Jesus, and things start to get a little dicey here. Uh-oh. Now, church, don't, don't be afraid to mention the name of Jesus. look at verse 8, and I said, who art thou, Lord? And he said unto me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutes. You just told us that God spoke to you and his name was Jesus? The, the Jesus we put on the cross 30 some years ago? You're saying that he's God? Yep, I am. Oh, okay. Verse 9. <laughs> and they that were with me saw indeed the light and were afraid, but they heard not the voice of him that spake to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said unto me, Rise, go to Damascus, and there shall be told of thee all things which are appointed for thee to do. Verse 11. And what I could not see for the glory of that light being led by the hand of them that were with me, I came into Damascus. And one one guy, his name was Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good report of all the Jews which dwelt there, came unto me and stood and said, Brother Saul, receive thy sight. In the same hour I looked up upon him, and he said, The God of our fathers has chosen thee that thou shouldst know his will and see the, the just one and should hear the voice of his mouth, verse 15. And thou shalt be his witness unto all the men of what thou hast seen and heard, verse 16. And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. You, Paul, come on. You got saved. You, you believe that Jesus is the, is the Savior? Come on, be baptized. Show the world that you're a Christian. Come on, stand up for who you are, verse 17. And it came to pass that when I was coming again to Jerusalem, even while I prayed in the temple, I was in a trance and, and, saw, uh, and saw him saying unto me, Make haste and get thee quickly out of Jerusalem, for they will not receive thy testimony concerning me. Verse 19. And I said, Lord, they know that I imprisoned and beat in every synagogue them that believed on thee. God, don't you know what I've done? Don't, don't you know who I am? <laughs> the people that followed you I put them in prison, and I beat them, and I killed them. Don't, don't you know who I am? Verse 20, when the blood of the martyr Stephen was shed. Remember the guy Stephen? They, they, were, they were throwing rocks at this guy, and they killed him. I also was standing by and consenting unto his death, matter of fact, and, and kept the rein of them that slew him. I was holding the coats of the people that were killing him. Verse 21, and he said unto me, Depart, for I will send thee far hence, unto the Gentiles. So he's giving the testimony of his life. And, and we look at this, this testimony. Paul, a, a zealous person, a Jewish person, a lost man. He hated Christianity. He was such a devout Jew. He was dedicated to the Jewish law. How could Jesus possibly be the Messiah? He had actually been responsible for dragging Christians out of their houses, for having Christians put to death. And, and he's telling them, this was my life. You know, I, guys, I don't know. Let's pause about that for a moment. Do you think Paul ever really got over the fact, I don't know, that, that he lived such a wretched life? Now, now, think. He dressed right. He looked right. He was educated right. He checked off all the rules. I am doing all the rules. And anybody here that is against the rules and for that guy Jesus, I'm going to have them killed because I like the rules so much. I'm checking them all off. I'm a good Jew. But... <laughs> Do you think you could ever get over the fact that you persecuted people and you had people killed and you threw people in prison? I mean, do you think, do you think Paul just woke up one day and just got and got over it? It's like, oh, it's no big deal. I used to kill people. Eh, I'm a murderer. I don't think he ever got over this, guys. I think this was a really heavy thing. And, and I think, you know, the, the testimony of this, that, that God used Paul, is more dramatic than sometimes we, we think about. Think about this just for a moment. You may have someone that walks into our church, and, and we have an addiction recovery program. One of my favorite ministries here at this church, our Friday night group that we get together. And we'll have people come into our program, and, and some of them have been strung out in drugs, or some of them are uh, alcoholics, some of them used a lot, some of them abused a lot. And, and they'll get saved, and, and weeks, months, years later, they'll come and they'll give a testimony. They'll stand in front of people and give a testimony. Hey, God changed me from this. God, God saved me and has given me a new life. And I used to be you know, a heroin addict, or I used to be an alcoholic, or I used to be a prostitute, or I used to, be, I used to do all these drugs. I used to be a really bad, vile person. But now I'm not. I, I used to be like that, but I'm not like that anymore. And we sit there and we all say, amen, praise God. You know, what a great testimony. And guys, now think about this just for a moment. Here Paul is giving his testimony I used to kill people. Now, we've never had someone come up in our church and say that. <laughs> you know, hey, I just want to let you know I used to be a mass murderer, and I'm here today. You know, I've never had that happen. But he's saying, look, I used to beat people up. I used to kill people. I used to throw Christians in jail. We've never had a testimony like that in our church. This is a dramatic testimony. And he's saying, I used to be like that, but I'm not anymore. I mean, that used to be the guy I was. But, but I used to be a, a hater of Christ. I've never had someone give a, give a testimony that they hated Christ. And and just church, just imagine for a moment the depth of his sin and his error. I mean, could you just imagine him giving this testimony? And just I used to I used to kill people. <laughs> Later on, take take your Bible. If you've got your verse sheet, the verses are there. Look at First Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. Paul, the same guy Paul is writing a letter to a pastor, and he says this in First 1 Timothy 1:12, 1, and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me in the ministry. Who was before a blasphemer? So this was my testimony. I used to be a bla- I used to make fun of this, and a persecutor and injurious. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief, verse fourteen. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. This is the faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation. Listen to what I'm saying, he's saying, accept what I'm saying, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now take your pen and underline these next five words. So Christ Jesus, let's see Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Here we go. Ready? Of whom I am chief. Church, do you notice what he didn't say? He didn't say of whom I was chief. He, he's literally saying present tense. I am still the chiefest of sinners. <laughs> uh, you know, you may think that I'm good, but I, I, I'm the worst of the worst, guys. I'm terrible. Look at the next verse. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy that in in, in in me first, Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering. Take your pen and underline these next three words. For a pattern. Underline those words. For a pattern. To them which should thereafter believe on him, to life everlasting. He's saying, listen. Christ saved me. He's saying for a pattern. What's he saying? As an example, to show the world that if Christ Jesus could save me, a murderer, someone that injured people, someone that threw innocent people in jail, someone that, that, that killed people that loved Jesus, if Christ could save me as wretched and as dark as I am, he can save anybody of who I am chiefest. That's literally how the, the thing. I am the chiefest. I'm like the worstest. <laughs> is that even right English? I don't know. <laughs> but this is what he's saying. See, literally, I, I'm like the baddest of the bad, and, and Christ made this as an example. If he could save me, he could save anybody. So no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what your past is, Paul's saying, listen, if Jesus Christ would save me from an eternity in hell, he can save you too because there's no one worse than me. That's what he's saying. There, there's no one. Present tense, the time, of, the time of him saying this, he's saying there's no one worse than me. I'm, I'm, I'm as bad as it can get. I'm bad to the bones of what he's saying. And he's saying, "But this is such a huge change. Now, church, listen. I think what's interesting, look, Now, I'll get this, He's writing this in in, in the book of Timothy. He's writing this to a pastor saying, guys, do you realize I'm the chiefest of sinners? I am really bad. Now, as we grow closer to Christ, as as we grow as a Christian, the closer you get to the light, the more you start to see the flaws. Okay? And as Paul was growing in his Christian life, he realized, uh, I'm not that great of a guy i'm really pretty bad the struggle that new believers have listen to me the struggle that christians that are newer to their faith a lot of times we have a tendency to think well i'm not that bad why why do we say we're not that bad no no i want you to get the illustration it's because when we become a christian it is like we're we're in the dark a little bit We, we know we're a christian we know we're saved, we know we're going to heaven, but we really haven't matured enough to see the flaws, right? And you can stand back here and you can say, well things kind of look okay, I'm not that bad. But as we become, as we kind of become uh, more mature, as we grow in our Christian faith, as we spend time reading the Bible, as we spend time in church, as we spend time in fellowship with other Christians, as we spend time praying like Paul had done for many years, we start to get closer and closer and closer to the light. And what happens when you're in the light? You start to see the flaws. Ladies, you don't put your makeup on in the morning in the dark, right? Yeah. You put it on in the light. Why? Because, well, let's just say if the barn needs painting, you paint it. That's <laughs> that right. God, <laughs> no, don't say amen, guys. <laughs> but guys... You know, you don't shave in the dark. Could you imagine, you know, trying to do that shaving cream and just, well, I don't know where I'm shaving, you know. <laughs> no, you, you stand next to the mirror and you get, you, get, you get in the light more so you can see the parts that you missed, right? You can see that. And church, as we grow in Christ, you start to see more and more of your flaws. But maybe you sit there and say, well, well, I don't have many problems. Well, maybe you say you don't have many problems because you're kind of standing over there in the dark, you haven't grown enough we're going to, do we have time? We do. We're going to deviate for a moment, okay, from the plan. I want to show you something. I want to show you something about a very cool guy in scripture. Take your Bible. You got your Bible. Go over here to the left, okay? We're going to talk about a guy real quick named David. Now, there's this guy named David, and he was accused by the king. The king's name was Saul, and, and the king had, had told David, David, you're not that good of a person. David, You're not even faithful to your Savior. You're not even faithful to God. And that really hurt David. I mean, he got David right where it counted. And David prays a prayer, which I want to encourage all of us today, all of us today, the preacher included, to start including in our daily prayer time, okay? I want you to see this. Psalms chapter 139, right in the middle of your Bible. Literally, if you take your Bible and split it up in the middle. Psalms 139. David prays this prayer. Because he doesn't know. He, David thinks he's a pretty good guy, but David doesn't know, church. David doesn't know. David, David's real, and he says, it's possible I'm all the way back over here in the dark, and maybe, maybe I just don't see how bad I really am. Maybe I just maybe I don't. He's being honest. Take a look at this verse that he, he prays this prayer. David, one of the most famous people in the Old Testament, prays this prayer. He says this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Verse 23 of chapter 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Now look at verse 24. And see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way of everlasting. Now, guys, I don't know about you, that's a tough prayer to pray. If you really got guts, you can pray this prayer. But if you don't have guts, you're going to say, I, I think I'm going to go to a different church next week. <laughs> okay, the preacher's thinking the same thing too, so don't worry about it. <laughs> That's a difficult prayer to pray because it's challenging not only to pray it, but it's challenging to apply it. And, and if you pray a prayer like what David prayed, God, search me and show me my problem. Now, that's not only going to convict you, but it's going to challenge to correct you. It's going to challenge to redirect your life, change the way that you see yourself, and change the way other people see you. And I know, we'll sit here and say this morning, you say, well, Pastor, you know, I know. I know who I am. I know my motives. I know. I've got a good heart. I'm not trying to hurt people. I want to always do what's right. I'm not a bad person. My heart is good. I mean, goodness sakes, Pastor, I pray, don't I? I mean, I must not be that bad of a person. (laughs) God's Word, though, says this about our heart. Take a look at Jeremiah. This is another book in the Old Testament. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. Just flip over to that. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. It says this. The heart, this is your heart, is deceitful above some things. Is that what it says? Now, what's that word, church? The word, uh, what's the word all mean? The word all means all, and that's all that it means. So your heart, my heart, is deceitful above all things which tells me this church think it's more deceitful than the devil himself because the bible says it's above all things your heart in you your meditator who you are is desperately look at that verse desperately wicked who can know it i've had people say to me "Say, pastor oh but i know my heart i'm a good person are you kidding me are you <laughs> you know your heart seriously Well, you must be the first person in the entire world, ever, in the entire history of the world, that knows her heart. Because my Bible says you don't know it. You, You think, you think, oh, I'm a good person. You know, I'm not that bad. I'm praying. I'm in church, aren't I? But you don't know because your heart is desperately wicked. It's deceitful. You're not in the light. You can't even see how bad it is sit there and say, well, I, you know, I struggle at work or I struggle in a marriage or I struggle in relationships or I struggle in my Christian walk, but I'm not that bad of a person. Well, hold on a second. just I, I, I'm out. And it's easy to pretend that we all kind of have a good heart, you know, but the Bible says it's desperately wicked. Why? Because church, get this, our heart, our heart is all about ourselves. Do you know that? Do you understand that? Your heart is only concerned about who? You. Your heart is not concerned about your husband or your wife or your preacher or your neighbor or your coworker. Your heart, get this, is desperately wicked and all your heart cares about is you. That's all it cares about. What's the proof of that? Well, the proof of that is what? If, if you were to walk outside here today and you tripped and fell and you, you broke your leg, what are you going to cry out for? Someone help Someone else, I'm okay. <laughs> no. Someone help me. Someone call the ambulance. Someone do something for me. Take care of me. This is all about me. And on our heart is only concerned about what's temporary. Our heart is not concerned about the eternal. Our heart is obsessed with what we want. This is what I need. I need this. That's all our wicked heart is concerned about is what is what we need and what we want. It's not concerned about what God wants. And, and if, you, if you think, if you think for a moment, now listen, this can going to be tough. If you think for a moment that you're just inherently good, I'm going to ask you a question right now. I want you to think. Don't raise your hand. I'm just going to ask you a question. How often do you lie? Okay, well, that's a pretty honest question to ask. Now, if you answered, well, pastor, I don't lie that often. I'm going to tell you right now, you're lying. <laughs> you're lying about the fact that you don't lie much. If you answered never, then I know you're lying. Right, church? Right, yeah. Multiple studies have been out in research that have revealed that people tell multiple lies every day, even when they don't realize they're lying. Sometimes we lie because we don't want to hurt someone else's feelings, and we'll lie. Well, that's a nice outfit you have today. you you look good today you know (laughs) sometimes we'll lie because because we 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 want to make ourselves look good and we'll exaggerate well that's not a lie but it's not telling the truth we lie a lot church and if you don't think you lie much your heart is desperately wicked just like mine we lie a lot we lie to ourselves we lie to other people we don't want to hurt other people, so we lie. We don't want to make ourselves look bad, so we lie. The most common lies are the lies that we tell ourselves. How about this? Did you ever tell yourself that, uh, well, I'm just not going to eat much, I promise. I'm just going to have just a couple of bites. Did you ever do that? Next thing you know, you look down at the bag and the chips are gone. I mean, they're gone. I'm not. I'm not going to eat much. And, and the cake is gone. It's like... Who ate the last scoop of ice cream? That's the argument we have in our house. Who did that? Didn't go to Quick Trip, you know? <laughs> Usually it's me, like, wiping the chocolate. <laughs> why, why is that, church? Because we like to rationalize. We, myself included, we like to rationalize. No one likes to face the ugly truth that they drink too much. No one likes to think about things that they'd be ashamed, or to tell people about the things they think about, because they're ashamed that anyone else would know what they think about. The ugly truth is that we laugh at other people's mistakes. We gossip behind their backs. We'll say, well, I'm not a gossip. I'm just telling them so that we know how to pray. (laughs) I don't have a problem. This is just the thing that I do to cope. Oh, really? Yeah, I took the pain meds for my back. You took a quarter of the pain meds for your back and the other three quarters to get through the rest of the day. Right, yeah. This is just what I do to cope. But church, the closer we get to Jesus the more we have to face our shortcomings. We have to face our pride. We have to face our selfishness. We have to face our lust. We have to face our critical spirit. Instead of, instead of just simply saying, God, I just want more. God, just take care of me. To pray a prayer like what David said right here is, is to ask God to reveal something in you. Search me and show me my heart. Now, that's not a prayer like, God, you know, help me win the lottery or God, help me to have a good day. That's a prayer to say, God, would you show me the sin that I have? Would you show me the problems that I have? God, would you search my heart? Have you ever thought about this? We are so off track today. We have, have you ever thought about this, so, though? What, consider what other people have ever told you about yourself. Have you ever thought about this? Let me ask you this. I wrote these things down. Is there an area of your life, maybe your habits, maybe your relationships, maybe your actions that others have suggested needs to change? Is there some area of your life that is challenged by others? Have loved ones expressed concern for you or asked you to consider getting help? I had a pastor friend of mine give me some advice one time that I think is just really, really good advice. I've never forgotten this advice. I probably never will forget it. He said this, if more than two people that you love, now listen, if more than two people that you love and trust suggest you have a problem, you should recognize that you have a problem, and you need to deal with it immediately. If you've got one or two people in your life that you love, I'm not talking about some stranger on the street, but someone that you love, someone that you respect says, you know what, you've got, you've got something in your life that's just unhealthy. You, 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 need to, you need to look at this. You need to get some help. If you have one or two people that suggest something like that, the reality is probably you do have a problem. You maybe rationalized it. You maybe pushed it away. You maybe said, no, not me. I can quit whenever I want to. You got a problem, church. And to pray a prayer like that, say, God, would you search me, show me the things in my heart. Maybe God will bring one or two people in your life to say, you know what, you, you got some problems here. You need to look at these things. Maybe someone has suggested that you play too many video games. They say they're concerned that you have more to offer and you're missing out on the important things of life. Perhaps someone has suggested that the drinking is starting to affect your life. Maybe someone suggested to you that there could be a problem with the pain meds you're taking. If two or more trusted family or friends uh, have suggested this, maybe it's time to pause and start to pay attention. Okay? Maybe it's time to be honest about that. Maybe you've had a bad run at dating, and someone suggested, well, maybe you're part of the problem. No, I'm not. It's everyone else in the world is messed up but me. Okay. <laughs> good luck. <laughs> Instead of defending your actions, maybe it's time to consider changing those patterns. Maybe we should start praying, like what David did here, God, show me. Show me if there's any what to say any offensive way in me. God, is there a problem? Why do we need to pray this church? Because what I said earlier, we are so good at deceiving ourselves. It's not me, it's my husband. It's not me, it's the kids. Well, I'll go along with that one. <laughs> I got two teenagers. Yeah, right. I don't need help. Proverbs chapter twelve verse fifteen: The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkens on the counsel is what? Church. Okay, what does that say? He's what? Okay, a person that gets counsel from someone. Listen, is what is stupid or is what is wise? A fool, a fool says, I'm okay, it's not me, but a wise person says, I need to get some counsel on this. I've had one or two people come to me and say there's a problem with something, you need to get some help, then do it. The Bible says you're wise if you do that. If you ignore it, you're a fool. Why? Because we we need God's help sometimes to look in the mirror because we're deceived by it. Take a look at Psalms thirty six, two, the same thing that David said, the same guy. He says, He that flatters himself in his own eyes until his iniquity be found to be hateful, the words of his mouth are iniquity and deceit. He hath left off to be wise and do good. He he looks in the mirror and he can't even see there's a problem. He's looking in the mirror and says, Yep, looks great. (laughs) No, it doesn't look great. It's desperately wicked. There are some problems in your life. There are some problems in your relationships. There's problems in your attitude. Church, God's given us a community of believers and and, and a time to get together in church and a time to pray and, and different programs to be together. If God's working your life, if God's challenged you on something, if you've had one or two people in your life say, would you stop what you're doing? You need to get help and figure out a way to stop what you're doing because you've done a great job of rationalizing it and deceiving yourself just like I do. We all do this. This is a great prayer, church. I challenge all of us to pray it. God, search me and show me. If there's any wicked way, if there's any racism in me, if there's any bad attitude, if there's, if there's anything in, in, in my heart that's just awful, instead of rationalizing it and, and just kind of moving on, we start to deal with it. I've done a couple things here. There's nothing wrong with looking at porn. Everyone does it. Besides, I could be doing much worse. I'm not hurting anyone. You've just rationalized it, haven't you? Well, I don't have a temper problem. I wouldn't yell at you if you didn't do what you do. It's not my fault you make me so mad. <laughs> my drinking's not a problem. I just have a few beers to help me unwind. It's not like I'm chugging whiskey or something. Come on. I'm not gossiping. I can't help it that people tell me these things. They just tell me these things. I'm just passing along information that's likely true. Besides, it helps others to know how to pray. Oh, really? <laughs> my gambling's not a problem. No, it's not a problem. It's just entertainment. I can stop at any time. How about this one? I'm not selfish. I just like nice things. I've worked hard my whole life. I deserve a few good things in my life. Search me, oh God, and see in my heart if there's anything that's offensive. And the church got very, very quiet. <laughs> hey, I, I totally sidetracked, okay? Take it from God. I totally sidetracked. Can we finish, go back and finish this chapter? Because I'm kind of one of those guys that just has to finish something like that. It's like the checklist type of thing. Let's go back and finish chapter 22. Can we do that? And, and what we have right there, if that stepped on our toes, then it stepped on our toes, mine included. Verse 22 of chapter 22. Let's finish this chapter, church, so we can go. And they gave him audience unto his word and then lifted up their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for it's not fit that he should live. (laughs) He was okay until he mentioned the name of Jesus, right? Verse 23. And as they cried out and cast off their clothes and threw dust in the air. (laughs) I think they were mad. They rip off their clothes and throwing dirt in the air. All right. Verse 24. The chief captain commanded him to be brought into the castle and bade that he should be examined by scourging, that he might know, therefore, uh, therefore they that cried against him. Verse 25. And as they bound him with, with thongs or straps, Paul said unto the centurion that stood by. Uh, I got a question. Is it lawful for you to scourge a man that's a Roman and uncondemned? <laughs> Paul may be courageous, church, but he's not stupid. So just so you know, Roman law was that you can't, you can't beat or, or accuse a Roman outside of court. Okay, so you had to go through the due process of the law. So Paul says, excuse me, I'm a Roman. Uh, Are you supposed to be doing this to me? I mean, he's not dumb, right? (laughs) If you don't have to get martyred, then don't be martyred. Verse 26, And when the centurion heard that, he went and told the chief captain, saying, Oh, boy, take heed what thou dost, for this man's a Roman. Uh Uh-oh, we got a problem on our hands. Verse 27, Then the chief captain came and said unto him, Tell me, art thou a Roman? And he said, Yep, I sure am. Verse 28, And the chief captain answered, This is interesting, With a great sum obtained I this freedom. So I bought my Roman citizenship. And Paul said, Yeah, but I was freeborn, or my parents are Roman. So I'm, I'm I'm not a paid, I didn't pay to become a citizen. I literally was born a citizen. Now this is a big deal, verse 29. Then straightway they departed from him, which should have examined him. The chief captain also was afraid. You bet he was. He could have been killed for doing this. And he knew that he was a Roman, and because he had bound him, verse 30, on the morrow, because he would have known the certainty, therefore, he was accused of the Jews. He loosed him from his bands and commanded the chief priests and all the council to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. So the chief captain says, we got to get rid of this guy because uh, he's a Roman, so don't touch him. (laughs) You know, okay. Take his, you know, the bands off and be nice to him. Give him something to eat. You know, (laughs) Yikes. The story's going to go on. Of course, what's going to happen to Paul? He's going to be tried where? In Rome. Remember Paul said, I really think I need to go to Rome. Yeah, and God said, okay, I'll get you there. This wasn't the way I was thinking. <laughs> Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9. Paul wrote this. For a great door, an effectual is open unto me. I've had this great door of opportunity open. And there are many adversaries. Church, the Christian life, Is not a playground, it's a battleground. You may have a great door opened up to you in your ministry. Our church has a great door opened up to us in our ministry, but what what comes along with a great opportunity? A lot of adversaries. It happened to Paul. Well, I'm just so shocked. Don't be shocked. Paul had had people, they're trying to kill him. Don't be shocked. This is going to happen, church. God's given day spring great opportunities. With that comes many adversaries. There's always going to be problems. Why? Because you're doing the things right. You're, you're in a battlefield. You're not on a playground. And what do we do, church? We, we keep going. And we pray the prayer that David prayed, God, search me. And if there's anything offensive, if something that I shouldn't be doing, would you just show me? Because I want to be more like you, okay? I want to be honest. I want to fix the problem. Church, you ever pray that? God, can we just fix, can you help me fix the problem? And you do that, and you see how God answers your prayer. That, my friends, search me and and know my heart. Try me. See if there's any offensive way in me. That's a dangerous prayer to pray, because God will do exactly what you prayed for. He'll, he'll, He'll show you exactly what needs to get fixed. And then you fix it, and then life is better because you did the right thing. All right? Aren't you glad for the gospel of Jesus Christ that we can boldly proclaim, at least now we can, I don't know what's going to happen after November 4th if we can still do this, but as of today we can do this. <laughs> For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. are you thankful that Jesus Christ died on the cross, paid our sin debt? All we have to do is just trust to simply believe, God, I realize I'm a sinner. God, I can't pay it. But God, I believe that Jesus, when He died on that cross, buried in the, in the tomb, three days later He rose again, I believe that He did that to pay my sin debt, and I accept that. It's that simple. He did the work so we don't have to. God, I realize I'm a sinner. I can't pay it, but I believe Jesus paid it, and I'm today, in the quietness of my mind, I can simply just accept that. It's not a matter of you stopping doing bad or starting doing good. That'd be a work. It's a matter of who you believe. Do you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross and paid your sins? That is the most important thing you could ever think about today. Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross and paid your sin debt? If you have, you're part of his family forever, okay? Let's have a word of prayer we will be done today. We're out of time. Lord, we're thankful for your goodness. Lord, maybe someone today in the quietness of their mind is trusting the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross. Maybe someone today was, was thinking they had to go to church or get baptized to go to heaven, but they don't. It's a matter of simply believing, according to the Bible, that Jesus was the Messiah, that he died in my place. He paid the penalty for all the bad things I've done, so I don't have to. Lord, if someone's done that today, would you give them just a special blessing, Lord? How wonderful that they are now part of your family. What an exciting day to have trusted you as Savior. Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts. Maybe this challenge to pray this verse in Psalms, is stepping on some of our toes it steps on my toes all the time would you search our hearts would you show us if there's anything in our life that's offensive to you and lord if you show that to us would we get help to have that changed would we work through those things we want to be better wives we want to be better husbands we want to be better students. We want to be better parents. We want to be better grandparents. We want to be better citizens. Lord, we want to be better employees for you. We want to show the world that we're a Christian. Would you search our heart and show us that there's something that needs to be changed. Help us to be honest and not to rationalize it away. In your name we pray. Amen. very interested in you and your spiritual growth. If you want to contact Dayspring for prayer or more information, you can reach us at 262-404-5092 or on the web at dayspringbaptist.com. Thanks for listening.